Carino with you. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast, along with my sidekick. Is it okay to call you my sidekick? Yeah, that's in fact, I prefer that. Do you prefer that? All right. My yeah. sidekick of the last 21 Nets seasons right here on uh, Nets Radio. It's Tim Capstraw, the capper, as he's affectionately known as, or the kappa, as, uh, as Patty Mills will call you, <laughs> or Dan Meehan, or the, the yes. number of Australians that are on the staff. Uh, Cabra, this is it. This is our podcast to go over what we saw in game two and look ahead a little bit to game three. Um, I, I thought, you know, you know, we talk about a lot of people will, will say, you know, basketball is art. You know, we've heard that term, right? And we know that it's not really because there's a, there's a score, right? There's a scoreboard. How, you know, a point counts, a basket counts for a certain amount of points and that's what you get. Um, but the game itself, it, it, it's got an artistic quality to it, and it kind of paints a picture, right? It's a, and, and some, some games are very straightforward, very realist, naturalist. Yeah. And I thought game one was kind of like that. We, we saw what we, we could interpret. A lot of people interpreted it the same way. And then it made it easy to see, all right, what adjustments you have to make to game two. Game two, I thought, was a little more interpretive, you know, a little more like a Christopher Nolan film, Capper. Like you, there's going to be a lot of different ways of dissecting it. You know, game one was like a rom-com. You know, we kind of, very <laughs> kind of predictable and the outcome happened and we know we, we what we saw. Game two is a little more open interpretation. And the reason I would say this is because I, I feel like in reading stories or even tweets that we got last night, um, a lot of differing opinions on on what we saw. So so why don't you give us a little a little interpretation, a little review of okay. game two? How I see it, or yeah. I thought about how I'm thinking about it right now after uh, trying to dissect it today. Let me let me give it a run right here. First of all, let's throw out defense right now. I thought the defense there was mistakes made. Uh, they didn't rebound at critical times. They've had mistakes in their rotation, but the overall effort and execution and forcing turnovers and all that. So I'm going to throw defense out because you hold a team to 96 points. That's an elite team. Yeah. I would take that night in and night out. You take that the rest of the series. So what do you got to do now? You got to correct offense. And let's just, all right, let's throw out the first half. Let's just go right now to the second half and go over what we saw and what we, you know, what could be done about it. And I thought this, I thought this was as big a chess match basketball game as I have witnessed in a long time. Talk about adjustments to adjustments from game one to game two. I think throughout the game, there were massive adjustments going on on both ends, but the two main ones were, the Nets went very small, really small, and the 76ers played zone defense, not exclusively, and that's important to know. They played zone in, in you know, a couple times, two or three times in the first half, and then they came out in the second half in zone defense, and a little bit different. Uh, they played it like Miami. They put a tall guy up top, Tobias Harris. They had the Tyrese Maxey. They had speed and length up top. And they were hiding their weaker defender, James Harden, in the corner. Um, 
And honestly, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, it was very effective. I thought the, I think basketball is art. It's also part of that art. It's music and it's rhythm. And I thought there was a rhythm missing in the game for the Nets. I thought they missed the rhythm uh, of how to attack the zone at times. I thought there was some rhythm and that it wasn't included in the way guys were able to shoot the basketball. It was a little bit different. It was a rhythm that was missing in making some passes. And there was some rhythm in uh, you know executing offense and that things were oftentimes later on in the shot clock when they didn't have to be. And the other part of that happened in that third quarter where they only scored 14 points. They saw zone defense for a good portion of it, but not all of it. What happened was the Sixers went back to man-to-man, and I think the Nets were confused then, too. There was an awful lot of standing around, patiently wondering what, you know, what was the call. There wasn't much movement. And, you know, there's, there's you know, a number of three-point shots attempted. A number of them were pretty good, were pretty good looks. Yeah. But then there were others where the clock was winding down, and, you know, TNT does you the favor of, you know, give you a countdown within the within the, the the circle of the foul line. You know, they'll let you know that when you're down below five seconds or whatever, and it clicks down. So I thought there was a, a rhythm. I thought there was a balance uh, that the Nets didn't really have in their offense and their execution. And then their approach. And I think there's an approach that we know the Nets want to shoot a lot of threes. But I also think there there's an adage. I don't know, like I always think I'm not, a great, you know, my MBA mind isn't great because I was a college guy for a hundred years ago compared to the MBA guys. But when I see a zone defense, I, I, I kind of my eyes light up. And in the one phrase, <laughs> I didn't instinct say, it just kicks in. Yeah, yeah. With the one phrase I didn't say to you last night that I was mad I didn't on the ride home. You've got to play through a zone, not around it. And I thought the Nets played around the zone. They passed the ball. Time was going down, and then they. Oftentimes, just shot a three. They they got a couple times. Mikel Bridges pulled up and did this, and they didn't mix it up enough. They didn't have rhythm in their attack against the zone. They had some shots that were pretty good, though. I, I won't deny that they had they did have windows yeah. where there were shots. But then when the Sixers went back to man to man, I thought that's when the Nets looked worse. They weren't really yeah. ready. I thought there was a disruption in the rhythm. I thought there was an awful lot of chess match things going on. And I thought the Nets didn't react well to it. That was the third quarter, fourth quarter. I think things carried over a, lo- a lot like that also. Well, what's interesting, though, and, and just to go back to that chess move by Doc Rivers to go zone defense to start the second half and how it kind of changed the game, right? It, it took the Nets out of their rhythm offensively. Because a, a lot of times, you know, zone is used in the NBA basically just for that. Like, you don't see... I mean, in extreme examples, the Heat will play, you know, a whole game in zone or or years ago when, you know, remember the Kenny Atkinson Nets, they, they got a lot of uh, success when they would play, you know, zone for a good chunk of they, the game. They played it a lot, though. They did play yeah. it a lot. But a lot of times it's but they, they played a lot. But what I'm saying is a lot of times it's used just to sort of throw you off and because yeah. NBA teams will adjust to it and then you you switch it. It's different looks. It's a change of pace. It's like a pitcher throwing, you know, taking a little something off a fastball to just throw the hitter off balance. But so your, your, your point about playing through the zone. So Doc Rivers in the in the start of the second half, they, they go to a zone right off the bat. Right. Right. And I think the Nets, they miss a three. You had a Finney Smith miss three. Sixers come down. They don't. The Nets get a stop on the other end. Then, I, I want to say the Nets score. Dinwiddie 
Yes, goes the through the zone, gets yes. to the rim, right, yeah. and scores. And Doc Rivers, timeout. Right. Like a minute into the second half, he's like probably telling his team at that point, hey, we want to play zone, but that's not the way we have to do it. And and then from that point on, maybe their approach defense, you know, to playing the zone and figuring out, I don't know, but it's interesting that you said that go through it because I'm looking back at the game and, and I'm like the first possession. Yeah. The net score and make, you know, you always talk about, you want to make the other team in, in the second half this yeah. is a coach's thing. You always talk about, right? Make the other team call the first timeout. Right. And the nets made doc rivers call the first timeout. You know, they go up seven and they had just gone zone and you're thinking, oh, wow, they made it. They made a correction and it didn't work right away. But Doc Rivers wasn't willing to just say, all right, it didn't work. No, he's saying, no, 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 no. We're confident that our adjustment is going to work, but that's not the way you have to do it. And I feel like from that point on, the game changed. Well, the game did change because after that timeout, the you know, I said I wasn't going to talk about defense, but that's when the Nets had defensive problems also. It's all connected. Yeah, it's all connected. It was a 20 to 5 run they went on after that for about the four, almost five, for about five minutes. It began, of course, with the TJ, PJ Tucker offensive rebound back to Maxi for a three. Then remember, there was a lazy pass against the zone by Mikel Bridges yep. that was stolen by Tobias Harris. That was a 5 0 run. Then Jock Vaughn calls timeout, right? So yeah. then, you know, so then the Nets call a timeout. Now you're coming back. Now the offense, you know, what were you going to do offensively? And where were you going to get your shots? Mikel Bridges did come off into the foul line area and make a shot in that area. But it just felt like the flow, the pace. See, zone slows you down too, right? I mean, it slows down the pace of a game. Yeah, It, it slows it down and then... Uh, and then there were times Cam, you know, Cam Johnson did have an open look. Dorian Finney-Smith did have a McKell Bridges, but there wasn't a great mix or rhythm or attack going in the way that the Nets were playing. They were pausing, they were holding, they were playing around it. I would have preferred them to play through it with the dribble, through it through it to pass. Yes, I know Embiid is there, and let's not forget they're playing zone mostly because because the Nets are playing small ball. And they want to keep Embiid on the floor, but they don't want him chasing anybody. So that's why they're doing it. So yeah. they're doing that for that purpose. And it's achieving the, uh, the help to keep Embiid right there. But also the rhythm of how the Nets played, I thought, got totally disrupted. Yeah. And yeah. And, and a lot of times it could be as simple as, you know, we talked about game one where, where the Sixers made a lot of threes. We could talk about game two, the Nets miss a lot of threes. But one of the things we talked about from, in, in the game one reaction in game two preview was you wanted to see the Nets shoot more threes. You know, don't be hesitant. You know, go out there with guns blazing, right? When you get, but it was like when the ball swings, don't be hesitant to shoot it. And you're going to see a lot of, you know, Nets were 13 of 42 from three in right. the game. And I used this analogy last night on our postgame show that I've, I've talked about in, in football because um, there, there's a there's a stat in football that kind of gets overused sometimes. Third down percentage, right? And yeah. people say, well, eh, it doesn't mean anything because you know sometimes you're facing a third and two, and sometimes you're facing a third and thirteen. And how are you comparing the two? And I've even seen guys that you know in broadcast that'll break it down. Well, they were they're they're this and this in this range. But here's the thing: third down percentage tells you a story 
Because if you have a very high, a good third down percentage where you are related to offense or defense, it probably means that you are putting yourself in good position on third down. Right. If you're converting a lot of third downs, it's probably because you're in a lot of third and shorts. All right. And the same thing with three point percentage. It's a barometer, I think, for how well you're playing offensively. Uh, because not every three is the same. They're all the same distance, but they don't yeah. c- come in the same manner. Some guys are better off the dribbling with three. Some guys are better if it's swung to them. Some guys are better when they catch it and shoot it immediately. Sometimes the pass comes in a position where you catch it in a shooting position. There's all sorts of factors to go in to whether you make or miss a three-pointer. And a lot of times, a three-point percentage, you can be getting shots that, yes, you should make, but a lot of times it's really telling you what kind of a rhythm your offense is in. Yeah, I, that, that is very well said. It's, it's, that's kind of what I'm saying in that because if you look at the, if you were to break down to threes, you would say, you know, boy, that's that's pretty open. That's pretty open. Uh, that one's, you know, like they, they weren't like bad. It's just the feel thing of how the game Exactly what you said, how it should flow. There wasn't early, there wasn't an early attack. The ball wasn't hitting the paint and then sprayed out. And you guys, we talk about that against man. That's just as important against zone. And I thought it got stale. It got stagnant. And again, it got really stale when the Nets, when that, when the Sixers, and, and I, I was thrown off by this looking, watching the game again. They went back man to man for a big portion of that third quarter. And remember, I was saying, Chris, the Nets are just standing out there. Why are they just standing? I think they're wondering what defense they're going against. And uh, I thought that that, that hesitation, uh, you know, caused caused issues. You didn't have that same attack mentality. And again, that's why I go back to rhythm. And the other thing is, I, I think there has to be some judgment. I mean, analytics is. I would totally believe in analytics and shooting, but if there are times when, when you know you don't have it, you know you haven't got it going from the three point line, that you need to mix it up too as a player, just to kind of get get your attack going uh, the other way and get inside there. And that, that's a feel thing, and uh, you know that that's also part of it all. And that carried over even to the to the fourth quarter of the game. You know, uh, you think about. There were some critical times. And let's remember, in the fourth quarter of this game, it was a one-point game at, 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 I don't know, 10, 10, you know, 10 to go. And if if you were, you know, and then here the Nets are, they're still getting some d- decent, I'm not, again, I'm not talking defense and rebounding right now. We know that. Offensively, you know, what, what were the looks they were going to get? I, I just thought they stopped playing the game. There wasn't, there wasn't action going. There wasn't screening going on. There, when they saw the zones, they don't know when shots would come back. I mean, uh, Royce O'Neal had a number of shots. Who wouldn't take Royce O'Neal shooting fourth quarter threes? Everybody yeah. would love them. Now, yeah, he's been their best clutch player this year. Exactly. But context matters. Context matters. We're also talking about a guy who was playing over 30 minutes then. was guy ended up playing 35 minutes and he defended Joel Embiid. It's, that's not to say I would still tell him to take him. Yeah. And it's really easy to say that after. After the fact, it's easy to say, oh boy, you know, maybe he was tired, maybe this or that. But uh, again, I just thought there wasn't a great, uh, keep going to that word, rhythm and feel and 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 again a little bit more mix in the game and I 
you know, when I say mix, I, I, you know, I want Bridges involved a lot. You know what I mean? I want him yeah. involved a lot. I want him touching in that hype, in that mid post area a little bit. And I'm curious to see what the Nets, you know, how they attack the zone, because I'm sure they'll probably see it again uh, throughout this series. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things to dissect here. It's funny because when I look at the headlines of the game, you know, I look at, over the stories and a lot of times you can say something, you, everybody could see the same thing and just interpret it differently. But things like, uh, you know, from a net, the net standpoint, you saw stuff about how the offense was awful. I, I didn't uh, think the I didn't offense think it was, was awful. awful. No, you look at there, the final there score. There there. Yeah, I mean, obviously I can't argue with the final score, but this also game was played at a very, I mean, you know, there weren't a ton of possessions like they would be in a normal game. Um, you know, you talk about adjustments. You think about all the things that we talked about after game one that the Nets succeeded in doing. Yes. Right. You know, they, they, you know, think about it. They only give up 44 points in the first half of the game. We talk about the defensive adjustments they had to make going small. Yes. Um, the attack, not not letting Philadelphia dominate on the offensive glass, not turning the ball over. The shots were even after the Nets had given up 19 more shot attempts in game one. That was the frustrating part, I think, is that a lot of the things we said they had to correct, they corrected. No. Just didn't do enough to go out and actually win the game. Yeah, no. I, I Listen, and they threw a variety of different angles of the double teaming also. It was almost like they were coming from a... From the blind side, often on Joel Embiid, they're rotating out. Did they make mistakes and leave Maxi open at times? Yeah, that's going to happen. Uh, did they make and mistakes? Maxi made they, some very difficult shots, especially yeah, but in early the second in the half. They're, they're, yeah. you know, he was teeing them up from the corners too. Yeah, he was at the beginning of the game, I thought he just made. He kept them. He actually kept, kept the Sixers in the, in the game by making some ridiculous contested shots. And, and you know what he does better? And, you know, like when you think about beating a double team, you think the ball swung you and you're shooting threes. Every time it, he touched it, it was, you know, he's catching a ball that oftentimes attacked the basket. And he really kept them. Nets were out playing them, except Maxi was was the guy. Uh, in the, in, certainly in the first, throughout the entire game, he was terrific. Uh, we, we talked about, you know, even, even what could happen in the series if you get on them. You know, if you could get up on them and you play well against the Sixers, we saw the Nets go up 10 in the second quarter and the crowd started booing, you know, and you could you could feel that pressure in the building on the Sixer players on Doc Rivers. I mean, there's there's legit that that crowd, that fan base puts pressure on its teams and they're kind of at the last straw with this group. You know, they they want to see this group. They, they feel like this is a championship caliber team. And, you know, you always said if the Nets could get some momentum that could that pressure could get notched you know ratcheted up that heat that goes on the Sixers can get get turned up a little bit so they had him you know they had him you talked about at that moment in the game was another critical time and you said it on the air at the time I think when the Nets were up 10 in the second quarter you said this is a critical moment how the Nets finish out this first half and not that they didn't you know they just they let the Sixers get cut it to five going at the half. And you really felt that the Nets could have just kept their foot on the gas there. Uh, they really could have made the Sixers play catch up in the second half. And they yeah, no. Remember the last minute of the play in the first half? Um, Mikel Bridges had two free throws. He missed them both. And then they yeah. came down and scored. I, I, can't re- I can't recall exactly who scored. I remember Bridges missed a couple free throws. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is how these games go. I, I, I understand that. But 
I'm trying because here's the big conflict I, I had all, all day. Is it, yeah, I, the Nets have to shoot enough threes to beat a better team like the Sixers. So they shoot 43. But then there are times when I didn't want them to shoot a three or at least explore the interior more and see what was there. So that is the balancing act I'm having because yeah. you know you know you got to do that. But then you got to feel the individual player must feel what he's got going. Also, if you're one for five, maybe you got to You got to get it into the paint some, you know, you got to get it in there. You yeah. got to see what you got in that mid range area. Remember, it's his own. You can break it down. You can go. You know what you can do? You can go where James Harden is in the zone and look to beat him off the dribble. You know what I mean? Like you don't even have to get complicated. But I do know that is effective. You know, Embiid is a big guy back there. And the one or two times that there was a dribble pull-up uh, by Mikel, first of all, the one he did, he snaked the screen and he made a 15-footer. And Bede came out, but he's really good at shooting over. I wish they had tried to do that a little bit more. And then I do think if the defense converges and then you're moving the ball, it feels like the same kind of threes that you get against a uh, uh, man-to-man. That's why I keep going back to the rhythm of the game. Yeah, and, and you know, just... You know, you talk about sometimes NBA games, they become that, you know, we know guys switch screens, so it's we can hunt. We get a we get a, a weak defender and a pick and roll, and then you get the switch, and then you hunt them that way. Zone is kind of like, uh, switching is almost like zone. So yeah. you know where guys are in the zone. Instead of having to set a screen to get the matchup you want, you can get just get the ball where the guy, like you're saying, the weak defender is. Um, well, yeah, but, other- but I, I thought you nailed it perfect in the beginning. It's just that the passes and the timing yeah. against the zone is just different. And that's why we see when teams play it and play it that there's the turnovers a lot in the beginning of it, and they don't get used to it. Uh, I, I just, I, again, I, 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 I keep, I'll repeat it because I thought that playing zone affected them but I also feel like when they got out of the zone, the Nets never got back into their offensive no. man rhythm. It's like and, and you, that's what it, really hurt them. It's like you back in the day, you're in the club and you get a song that you like and you got it going, right? You're feeling, you're dancing, you're feeling you're in a, you're I, the in overbite. I got the overbite Yeah, going. you got it going. Like you feel like you're looking good. You're feeling <laughs> good. People are starting to dance around you. And then the DJ changes the music <laughs> to a song and now you can't, you can't find the beat. You can't find the. You can't adjust. You're not a good enough dancer. I don't know. No, no. And, 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 and you know, because and when I talk about rhythm, you know, pace has a. You know, the rhythm and pace are are, are kind of connected, right? You want to get it up quick, but you want to do things quick with authority, inside out, you move it around, and uh, yeah, they changed well, they changed the song on the Nets <laughs> last night. That was beautiful. The 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 specter. Uh, you know, you talk a lot too about things. I mean, let's just talk about Joel and Beat because you talk about open to interpretation, right? I mean, uh, you could say, well, they they trapped better, it did a better job, but and 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 yes, Joel and Beat was 13 points under his scoring average, but he had 20 points, 19 rebounds, seven assists. Uh, he did, but they forced him into eight turnovers. Yeah. So they did. I mean, that was a big part of the Nets being able to hold the Sixers under 100 points is what yeah. they kind of did to Joel Embiid. And we talked about looking at game one, what they had to do better 
in game two. And a lot of it was the approach to Joel Embiid, but really doing that much better. Yeah, I thought they did. I thought they yeah. did for, for big stretches, really for the game. There was a stretch, certainly the top periods of time in, in the second half where he was able to do different things and make good passes. He also, also the Nets did, went a couple times where they played Claxton straight up on him, right? Remember the first time? Yeah. He threw it out of bounds. Second time he traveled. Yeah. Yeah. Third, fourth time he went right through him and, you know, made a play. Yeah. But the, yeah, that's the thing. You just got to keep them off balance. You noticed a lot of the double teams came from the blind side. He he didn't see them coming in the first half. But then the rotations, you know, are, are, you know, you got to really rotate out of it. It's a huge challenge. Uh, and beat is a big, tall quarterback. Uh, it, it, it is a challenge. I thought the Nets were, were their effort on defense. That's why you say, well, they gave up the rebounds. They didn't rebound. I know that, but they, you can't. You, you can't do everything. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And if you do a solid job, then you, that's why I only wanted to point to the offensive side of the bas- uh, the, 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 you know, the offensive side of the floor in the second half. Otherwise yeah. you can just break down everything. Yeah. And, and to talk about that when you're trying to attack and you talk about, you know, you want to take it in to the paint, but that specter of Joel Embiid is always there. And, yeah, you know, he's it, still, it is. It, it and is. That is a factor. That yeah. is a factor for all these guys also. He is a big, huge presence. If I were ever, have I ever had a him when I was coaching it in college in the 7-2 seven, seven, in the middle there? That, that's a problem. But you still, I, there still had to be more exploring of that, more attacking, more inside out, more. Yeah, but here's the other, again, play through the zone, not around the zone, via the pass or the dribble. Inside out, moving around, I think, that, again, you, you wouldn't have improved some of the looks, although again, the looks were pretty good. The looks were good, but I'm just saying that they could have been maybe even better. Well, think and about you, and uh, some mid range shots aren't out of the question. You just want to get, especially for a guy like Bridges and Cam Johnson shows the ability getting where they're right there. Seth Curry when he's there, the mid range you you can't. It, it's okay when you certainly when you don't have a game going from deep. Don't be afraid to get into that mid-range well, area. You might, you might not hit that number 40 on threes. That's Remember, that's 40, That's a lot of threes for the amount of shots that were taken in the game last night. Because yeah, well, you know what? It was a slower-paced game. And think about, though, it's more the Nets, more than half their shots were threes. 42 yes. attempts, 80, made, 80 field goal right, attempts. Right, right. Um, the, the thing about the mid-range you talked about, because we talked about this after game one, too. How do you get Embiid? You're not going to get him out of the paint. And B's not going to go guard the three-point line. But how do you get him just a little further away from the basket? Because that will help you rebound the offensive glass if you do miss. Um, that'll it, The mid-range is the way to do that. And I feel like that's something that's still... and and Because I think a lot of that shows up in Nick Claxton not having anything offensively. You know, yeah. when Embiid is just playing right at the rim... You know, Claxton's not going to get rebounds from him. He's not going to get second chance points. You're not going to be able to dump the ball off to him to finish around the rim. Like you've got to figure out a way and I to get Embiid, not that he's coming out of the paint, but just get him a little bit so you can play behind him a little bit. Well, I mean, the, the one thing they wanted to do, they thought they would get him out because they went really small. So, I mean, that was, again, this was a great chess match game. This yeah. is a great chess match game because Nets were small. Doc was like, Doc Rivers is like, whoa, whoa, we'll try to guard him. All right, let's, let's go to our zone. 
Let's go to our zone. And it turns out they've played, you know, I'll be honest with you. I wanted to research how much zone they've played. They've had a decent amount of success with it this year, you know, and, but uh, I don't know. It, it was, yeah. it was, I thought it, it exactly how you, you're, you know, comparing it to the music on the dance floor was exactly what kind of I felt happened in the game. The, let's talk about Cam Johnson yeah, in this did. game, because yeah. when you talk about when things were going well, uh, in the first half, it was Cam Johnson, and he's uh, he's making threes, right? So that was a big part of it early on. But then you talk about when you got a feel to take it to the basket, the dunk on Joel Embiid. I mean, that was a fearless attack, right, at the rim. Uh, and you know he was able to. You know, you, you you've got to have that kind of fearless attack. If you're going to beat a team and beat a player like Joel Embiid. Yeah, no, that was impressive. I, I've been, ever since he's gotten aggressive this year, you know, I think it was probably a month ago, maybe his first, whatever, several weeks of him. He had a nice looking player, boys, good looking guy, can make shots, you know, good length, all that. When he started getting more aggressive and going at the basket, then started making moves off the dribble. I think his game has really expanded. I, I thought he was really good. I would have liked to seen him, yes, out of the corners. And he was t- saying, I was in the corner all the time. I would have liked to see him get the ball. He shot a couple and he, you know, he made one, but he, you know, he missed a couple. Uh, I think he actually just took two in the fourth quarter where he made one and missed one. But I would, that's the, when, when they, sometimes you, again, you find the weak link in the zone. You know, if you don't want to get complicated, just go at him. Get Cam Johnson going at James Harden. Get into the teeth of the defense and see what you can get. And then be able to play that way some. Again, these are all just, you know, different. You know, there's nothing is, is like definite. You know, like nothing is like every time. I'm just talking about a feel of the game. That's why, you know, coaches talk about the pace of the game a lot. It's not every possession. Every possession doesn't look the same. It's not the same. It's a game. It's a strategy. It's a momentum changes a lot of things. But just in general, overall feel for the game, well, I people, thought the Nets got they got disrupted and their, their flow was not in attack mode like they needed to be. Well, sometimes I think people think when you talk pace that you're talking about fast breaks. Yeah, you know, well, and no, no, I, I it, no, but it's it sometimes it's even. Well, I mean, that is too. I think the Nets could benefit by maybe getting the ball up the floor a little, but also it's just getting into your offense a little quick. Exactly, there were too many dribbles before things happened yesterday, yeah. and I'm t- I'm talking about, you know, I, I I I did. Sometimes the first thing you can do is get the ball up quick and try to get right, in, you know, get after it a little bit. You know, we, we again they were playing around it. They're playing a play like a donut, man. Move the ball, get it in. One of the other things we talked about from game one to game two, you know, we mentioned Mikel Bridges and, you know, he had it going in the first half of game one and then only had two shot attempts in the second half and only finished the game with one assist. Um, and we talked about how the next level for Mikel Bridges is to be able to uh, be the focal point of the offense and be the guy you play through. And it's going to really be contingent on his ability to now find other guys when he draws attention. And he had six assists last night and only one turnover in the game. Uh, And I thought, excuse me, he had three turnovers in the game, Uh, but he had seven assists, excuse me, seven assists and three turnovers in the game last night. And, and, you know, I, I feel like that's another, you know, in the, in the evolution of Mikel Bridges, 
um, yeah. because he's getting a lot of attention now, and he got a lot of attention in game two. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I thought, you know, that was an evolution we saw from game one to game two. Yeah, no, there's nothing you don't like about him. That's, again, I thought he could have been, a, you know, even more creative as a second half one. I, those are, most of those assists were first half. I would like to see him get into the, again, yeah. A little bit more into the teeth of the defense, maybe score in that mid-range area, or again track attract defenders and uh, you know spray the ball around. You, you, we, you know, you always hear that talked about against man-to-man. That's exactly what I wanted to see when, when the Nets um, played against his own. I uh, you know walking around last night, got a chance to to see a few people, and I saw the uh, you know see him all the time. But the great Steve Serby, you know, the columnist over at the right. New York Post, and. Uh, had a good story today um, because he got he talked to uh, Jay Wright about Mikel Bridges, and uh, I just wanted to, this this little uh, excerpt that I wanted to to relay along. Um, he was talking about Steve Serby asked Jay Wright, who was Mikel Bridges' coach at Villanova, and 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 in the article, Jay was talking about how he said, you know, Mikel Bridges is is being asked to do things in this offense with the Nets. Uh, and he's being successful at it, that he wasn't even asked to do, forget about his time in Phoenix, forget about his time in Villanova. He wasn't asked to do this in high school, you know, <laughs> to, to play, to carry the team offensively at this level. But what he said about, he's, uh, Steve Serby asked Jay Wright, what do you want net fans to know about Mikel Bridges? And he said this, he said, just appreciate him as a winner, he said. He wants to win worse than probably any Nets fan wants them to win, regardless of how many points he scores, regardless of what his role is. He really looks at the game every time he plays a game as, I just want our team to win. It's simple, but we know how rare that is these days. That's what Jay Wright was saying. And when I think about last night, you know, he's he does do a little bit of whatever is needed of him. Right. And even last night, the, the subtle defensive adjustment that helped him in the first half was that he played James Harden. I, I, exactly. And look at the game James Harden had. Yeah, no, he played. Not good. That was, again, the chess match beginning to end of this game went on and on. And it be, you're right. That was a big part of it was, uh, you know, he was he was defending J- James Harden. He was the primary defender on James Harden. And and we we, we have to, before we conclude this, we have to get into... Royce O'Neal. You know I'm the president of the Royce O'Neal fan club. Yeah. And was, he know, I know he missed a lot of threes last night. Yeah. But the yeah. guy, I mean, he talk about just giving yourself up for the sake of the team. Right. Uh, he's either guarding Harden and he's picking him up at half court or he's in that small ball lineup. He is just battling Joel Embiid. He wasn't just standing around trying to get in front of him. <laughs> I mean, he was wrestling him. Yeah. So I cut Royce O'Neal a little slack when he's two for nine from three because I'm saying the guy's got to be worn out. You know, it's one of the reasons why a lot of times you don't want your best offensive player or your guy you're playing through a lot offensively to have to guard the other team's best player. And that's going to be an adjustment, right? If Mikel Bridges becomes your focal point offensively, you can't have him be the the guy that sticks to the other team's best player. He's going to wear him out. Um, I understand what you're saying. Sometimes if you not don't have it going, though, don't shoot it. Um, but at the same time, I, I I can't say enough about the effort of Royce O'Neal last yeah, night. Yeah, and you know something? If you would ask me before the game, Royce O'Neal's going to be out there. He's going to be defending the heck out of M- Joel Embiid. Do you trust him in the fourth quarter, even if he's played a lot of minutes to shoot threes? I would say yes, right? Yeah. And, you know, he 
I didn't make one in guy. the fourth quarter, yeah. but you know, the ball got to him. And they, again, these were, I think Jacques Vaughn's going to be happy with the shots. I, I, I just, you know, maybe I'm picking it apart in, in a way that um, isn't, isn't, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, that's how I felt, felt the game went. I thought the shots were good. And, and, and yet the game being, I didn't feel like the game was being played the right way in, in the second half. I didn't, I didn't think the attack was correct. Um, the intent was right. The, 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 the pace with which they were getting into stuff and moving the ball wasn't the same, even though the shots didn't look too bad. You know, we'll see now what adjustments are made from game two to game three. I think it was very clear cut what had to happen from game one to game two, if the Nets were going to have a chance. And I think they gave themselves a chance. But then Philadelphia, in game, we talk about making some adjustments that help them get it back. And, you know, we know that the old adage, it doesn't, you know, a series doesn't start until you win on the other team's home floor. It's hard, though, when you're down 0-2 because, you know, you're, you're playing a team that's favored to begin with. After game one, there may have been a little bit creeping in with Nets fans that I don't know if we can, you know, I don't know if we can beat this team. Game two, I think, should have given you a little bit more hope that you do have a, a shot here. Like, you know, that you you figured out you can play with them, uh, but it was discouraging maybe at times uh, that you didn't take advantage of how well you played on the defensive end. So as we look to game three, what gives you hope? What what sort of are you looking for the chess match? What are the chess moves that can happen in a game three? Well, I, I think the Nets will be more ready for, you know, the potential of seeing his own defense. They'll be more ready when they don't see things and when they're, you know, to get organized quicker, get up the floor and into things quicker. Um, you know, not not just being spread out and, and, and pausing. They want to get into the flow, get action, get movement, get screening. And uh, I think that I think that would be a big emphasis for them, uh, it, regardless if it's a zone or man to man. I think that that is going to be a big part of what they they want to do. Um, and also seeing some success. You know, you saw some success. You saw what it looks like in the first you know half yeah. of game two that you can maybe bring in in game three. Well, you know, here's the thing. Let's not forget. You saw what success looks like offensively in game one as far as you can shoot the ball from anywhere on the floor and score enough points. I mean, it's 65 points in the first half of game yeah. one, and he didn't shoot that many threes, right? It was McKell. That's why Bridges has to be a factor, or guys have to be a factor in, on all three at all three levels, right? I, I think they were just uh, playing around the perimeter too much and, and too late in the clock. Um, uh, you know, I, here's the other side. I mean, Philadelphia's seen an awful lot of what the Nets can do right now, too, right? I mean, but Embiid just sees that all the time. And I think going small fooled them, right? They weren't particularly ready for that. So you're going to maybe see an adjustment of, you know, I don't know. They want to keep Embiid up in that high post area. So you can kind of get away with, you know, uh, you know, the Royce O'Neal or Dorian Finney-Smith uh, guarding him. For for and then but but then you got to bring the double team you know you got yeah. you got to bring the double where's the double going to come from he t you know he figured it out as the game went on but certainly I thought the Nets kept him off balance and that's really all you can hope for yeah and a lot of times you know you're you're using a smaller lineup because you feel like it will benefit you offensively 
Yeah. And where it seemed to benefit the Nets was on the defensive end uh, because they really didn't take advantage of having a smaller lineup uh, and being able to score because they only put up 84 points. And didn't, yeah. you know, that's well, that's no, I, I, again, fascinating. I, I was blown away, you know, the chess match of these games. And, and for the moment, the first possession, when you saw, well, Bridges is going to be guarding a hard in this game. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is going to guard Tucker, you know, different guys, you know, uh, and, and try to, uh, so uh, coaches are, and in their mind, I'll, I'll say this, I coached in college. A college basketball season doesn't have as many decisions as it were made last night by the coaches. <laughs> yeah. A season. Yeah. Co- college coaches coach like their system, and then they play their system, and they see how the game turns out. NBA coaches possession by possession, like it's unbelievable. Even the subtle movements of where knowing that the Nets would double team, how the, the spacing changes for the other players on the Philadelphia 76er roster. So they didn't necessarily have three guys on one end, one side and one in the corner. No, they had a they had like a a two two on each side, so the Nets' rotation then became incredibly long. The, the minor details that go in uh, to these games are sometimes hard to see, and uh, are really are really amazing. The amount of them that go on, though. Yeah, college coaching is recruiting. <laughs> it's, re- it's scheduling, <laughs> recruiting, and then coaching. The big, That's why John That's Calipari your... was uh, courtside last night. What's that? That's no, why John Calipari well, was courtside yeah, he... last night. Uh, no, he, the guys that are great are great at everything. Let's be honest. The, the yeah. guys that are, are really good at it are great at everything. The other ones are broadcasters. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a weird thing that pointed out again. People look at plus and minus and, and sometimes it Joe does tell Harris. a story. Yeah, right. Is that possible? Like it, Joe Harris is a plus 19 in 13 minutes. Not, a, not No other player of the seven other players that played in the game were in a plus side. Curry was a minus one. O'Neal was a minus six. That was the best. But it just shows you he's in there for probably the time he was in there. The Nets just, you know, obviously the numbers, they outscored. Uh, it wasn't anything that he did. I don't, it could have been who else is on the floor. That's why you can't always put a lot of, sometimes it, it does tell the story. Sometimes it doesn't. It's hard. Yeah. No, I know. It's I know. hard. So, um, sorry, point that out. Uh, yeah. Capper, uh, what I always, I always tremendously look forward to the postseason because these games all matter and we have a lot of stuff we can really sink our teeth into. So um, I enjoy doing these things uh, after these playoff games. And the other part of the playoffs that's sort of bittersweet sometimes is that um, we do this stuff for six months and we always, it can wear you out a little bit, but then we always want to keep it going. Yeah, right. And, And then sometimes it just can abruptly end. So we hope that when it gets back to Brooklyn, we can just keep this thing going for a little while. Uh, Capper, we'll talk to you before game three. It's Thursday night in Brooklyn. Uh, we'll get on the air on WFAN at 7.20 with a pregame show. Uh, and then we'll come back and maybe try and do this again, uh, perhaps on Saturday, right after game three, and looking ahead to game four on Sunday. So, uh, Capper, thanks for, for giving us your thoughts in interpreting this movie that we saw in game two. All righty. Because I know you're not a big interpretive. You like no, stuff you know straight something? I think you sometimes. have the days wrong of the games. Well, what did you just say? Did you say Saturday and then Sunday? What did you say? No, Thursday. Thursday. And, and we'll and do it Saturday. after Thursday. Thursday and then Saturday. And then said, no, you didn't say that, though. I'm correcting you. 
Oh, yes. Yes. I said, we'll do the pod on, fr- we got to do the pod on Friday. I never correct you, but I, I know to do that. it's really unnerving. Uh, yeah. So, well, the game is Thursday on WFAN FM only, by the way, if you want to tune in or the Brooklyn Nets app. I know somebody that was in London, England last night, Capper, listening to us on the Brooklyn Nets app. Yeah. We got to get people all over that. Right. Yeah. Brooklyn Nets app. Tune in there or, uh, we'll be on just one one nine FM on Thursday and, uh, and Saturday. And then we'll try and put out a pot on Friday. So talk to you Thursday, Capper in Brooklyn. See you then. That's the Capper. Tim Cabstraw. My thanks to Steve Goldberg, Isaac Lee. I'm Chris Carino. Nets going at it again. Game three coming up on Thursday night. Trying to break out an 0-2 hole. This has been the Voice of the Nets. I'm Chris Carino. Thank you so much for tuning in.